Hello, I'm Rachel Klepp Miller, and I'm joined today by one of our delivery partners, Patrick McLaughlin. Patrick has been in the trenches, traveling the country, delivering our Command of the Message offering. Patrick, it's good to actually see you and have you in the office. Hi, Rachel. It's great to be back here in Charlotte. <laughs> so today we've, we've cornered Patrick, and we're going to talk about one of our most popular topics, executing effective discovery. We all talk about doing it, and a lot of times it's really easier said than done. I know a lot of you know that out there. So today we're going to run through some reminders to help you execute an effective discovery process. Patrick, I know you have a very experienced sales career, and we've talked a lot about this before. Discovery is one of your favorite things to do as a salesperson. Uh, that's correct, Rachel. Discovery is probably the best thing a salesperson can do. Discovery sets the stage, basically, for a successful sales cycle. Uh, when I look back on my career uh, at Xerox, I was, I was trained um, by Xerox Corporation and my first sales job um, after my training was I was out in the field and I was talking about um, customers required capabilities and Xerox taught me that customers focused on ease of use, productivity and reliability. And so I became an expert in talking about how Xerox did productivity, reliability and ease of use. And I was pretty successful. My first uh, six to nine months, uh, I closed deals my first 30 days in the field. And, uh, and it was great. I felt like, all right, I can do this. I can be a great salesperson. And then I started moving up into more complex sales and bigger opportunities, and I was losing. And I was losing at a higher rate than I should have been compared to my peers or compared to the success that I was having in, in one-off deals where maybe the decision criteria wasn't as complex. And so one afternoon, there was a, a lady, Susan, I'll remember her the rest of my life. She was probably the most, one of the most successful salespeople I'd ever met. She was a 25-year veteran, uh, 23 presidents clubs, I mean really a top performer, and she asked me uh, how, how, was, how, was, how was I doing, um, how was my career, and uh, was I enjoying myself and talking about my successes and, and things, and I said, Susan, you know, I, I'm closing the one-off deals and, and I'm having some success there, but as I've gotten into larger, more complex, multi-unit deals, I'm not winning. I'm actually losing before I'm even I'm being discarded before the final decision is made. I'm not even making it to the end. And I said, I, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I said, I'm talking about everything that Xerox has told me to talk about. And she says, well, that's the thing. You're talking about Xerox. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? She's like, well, you got to talk about the customer. And you got to understand what the customer's trying to achieve. And, and I said, well, how do you do it? And she says, well, I look for blood. I look for blood in the account. When I find the blood, I look for the trail of blood. When I find the trail of blood, I follow it to the wound. And when I get to the wound, I open it up. So I create as much a problem for the customer as I can. And so as I open the wound, and I open the wound, and I open the wound, and I open the wound to the point where I, I can't open it anymore, and the customer's looking at me, and they're looking for me to give them solutions, and I don't give them to them yet, I pour salt on the wound. And I said, I started laughing, and I said, what do you mean by that? And she says, well, Many people can live with bleeding, but they can't live with pain. And so you need to create a sense of urgency of your client. You need to understand what their real pains and, and issues are, and then we try to solve them. So that's what you should do. Focus on the client, focus on their pains, find the blood, find the wound, and open the wound, and then you'll understand where you can position Xerox to meet your customer's requirements. So I've used that methodology um, over my 25-year career in every, every sales cycle that I've ever been involved in. Right. So find the blood and don't forget the salt. 
um, probably is a, is a good mantra to have as we talk about this. So let's just get, get into it. We often talk a lot about the things that you just, you just mentioned, making the customer feel the pain, stand in the moment of pain, put on the coat of pain, and you do that by asking great questions. But in addition to that, if you want to execute effective discovery, one of your really great tips, I thought, as we were talking before this podcast, was that you really encourage reps to create the visual for the customer. Talk a little bit about what you mean by that. Sure. So we, we talk about having uh, great discovery, open-ended questions, two-sided, where both the customer and, and we, as the salesperson, are learning something. But I, I think you need to take it a step further. I think you need to enable the customer to teach you about who they are and what their business is. A lot of people, most people love to talk about what they do uh, for their career and it energizes them and it excites them. So if you enable the customer to talk about who they are and what they do, um, it, it shows one, that you're interested in their business and two, that you're listening and there and three, you're looking to create value for them. So when we talk about in our deliveries using TED, tell me about, explain to me, describe for me, help me understand, these are things that enable the customer to teach me. In addition, when I'm sitting in a customer's office, I'm looking for a whiteboard, I'm looking for a flip chart, because I'll stand up in the middle of the teach that the customer's given me, and I'll start whiteboarding, or I'll start writing out their uh, processes or their business objectives, and I'll intentionally leave some things out, so I'll get the customer to stand up, and then the customer will start teaching. Just like I was in grammar school, the teacher would get up on the blackboard. I'll get the customer up in front of a whiteboard, starting to detail for me, educating me, okay? So it creates a visual for them and a visual for me, which really increases the opening of the wound and the pouring of the salt. And then the benefit I get is after I leave, now the customer is looking at something that I've helped them create, and it's constantly in their eyesight uh, while they're sitting in their office. Right, you provide a tool for the prospect to have additional conversations internally. It can be, come in here and, and look at what Patrick wrote, right? Mm-hmm. We also talk about using discovery to trap the competition, but you take it one step forward and say, you can use discovery to trap the competitor's trap. And that phrase sounds a little bit confusing, but what, what I think you mean by that is that in discovery, you have to anticipate what your competition is using against you with your prospect. Yeah, that's correct. Um, you know, I've, I'm a firm believer that good salespeople understand their products, uh, features, and functions and ask good discovery questions. But to become a great salesperson, you need to know all of your products, functions, and features, but you need to know your competition as well. And you need to be able to ask great trap setting questions. To give you an example, when I was working at Xerox, one of the benefits that we had in the high production duplication market was our ability to produce 11 by 17. It was 30 to 40% faster than our competitors. So it was applications we would look for and try to make a top priority in the customer's decision making process. So I remember one day I'm working with a nonprofit organization and they produced a newsletter. And as I was walking through uh, the customer's environment, getting an understanding of how they do things, asking them to teach me about their business, to show me their processes, I noticed there were 11 by 17 applications. Now, I never mentioned my products, nor did I mention the 11 by 17, and the customer started 
naming the products that I was going to propose to them. So I thought, wow, this is a benefit to me. The customers got experience with our flagship device. This is going to be a win. And I asked, well, have you have experience with the Xerox 5100? And the customer says, no, the Canon rep brought it up. And I said, wow, really? Why would the Canon rep bring up the device that I knew was state-of-the-art? State-of-the-art. I mean, I, I had a competitive advantage. And what the Canon salesperson had done was they had taken the 11 by 17 application off the decision-making process. The customer said, I know we called you and we wanted to talk about one device, but after meeting with the Canon rep, I think we really need to have two machines. So I started to ask questions why. And the Canon rep basically had taken the 11 by 17 application off the main device and said to the customer, you probably could use redundancy and you probably need a separate device for the 11 by 17. Essentially what she had done to me was taken a $100,000 sale, brought it down into the market where she played at $50,000 and, and took my competitive advantage off the table. So it actually it upset me, it annoyed me. <laughs> I was like, that's not fair. This is something that I compete really well in. So then I started to ask further questions. And I said, well, you know, who, who puts together the newsletters? Who puts together uh, the documents? And can we, can we go upstairs and meet with them? And so the gentleman said, sure. He takes me upstairs to the marketing department. We meet with the editorial team. And as I'm asking them about how they produce the letters and what applications they use, I noticed samples around the desks and, and, and the credenzas. And one of them was an 11 by 17 perfect bind. And I said, oh, you guys want to produce stuff at 11 by 17 in a perfect bind? And the gentleman says, well, we were looking at outsourcing this work versus bringing it in-house. And this is what some of the commercial printers had brought to us. And so, yeah, we'd love to have that, but, you know, it's probably too expensive for us to do downstairs. Well, little did that customer know that I could do that inline finishing, okay? So I essentially said, well, if this is one of your required capabilities, I can meet that requirement with some advanced finishing on the 5100. The 5100, the $100,000 <laughs> device. So a device that size in the territory that I had, that would make my plan for three months. So all of a sudden I was able to trap my competitor's trap and put a my device back and, and, the, and the requirements that the customer had back on the table, and I actually increased the size of the sale. So the sale went from 100,000 to 125,000 because I was really solving the underlying problem that the customer was trying to achieve. That's a great story. And I think um, what I also heard in there is that you're not only digging deep on negative consequences, you're also broadening the conversation to multiple stakeholders, right? Yeah, that's correct. So when I talk about um, discovery and finding the wound and opening the wound, you can open the wound to dig deeper to the severity of the problem or the financial ramifications of the problem, but also by opening the wound, you can spread to how many other people are affected inside the organization. So we need to, we need to understand not just who we're talking to, but also that customer's coworkers and the environment that, um, that they're working in. So how do you know when you're broad enough or, or when, you're, when you've done enough uh, broadening and, and digging deep? 
Well, you know, that's a great question. So when, you know, when you're doing a lot of discovery, you're always tying back to the negative consequences. You're always tying back to some quantifiable number. So in my mind, I'm always trying to understand what the cost the customer has, either in real dollars or um, in a productivity sense. And then I sort of know where, where my solution would uh, fit in. So I might test that throughout the conversation with the customer. And, and to be honest, there's also, there's also a point where the customer is going to look to me, either ask me directly or through facial expressions. They're going to say, well, how can you help me? So there's somewhat of a pivot. When you do a lot of great discovery, eventually the customer is going to say, yeah, this wound hurts. The salt is irritating me. You know, they're going to say, well, where, where would you start to fix this? So I would say that in the flow of things, it's probably a natural progression where the customer is going to say, um, you know, how can, how can you help me? Well, great conversation, Patrick. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Great tips here. Uh, find the blood, find the salt, 11 by 17 paper can, <laughs> can save your career. Um, but thank you for joining us. Thank you to all of you for listening. And don't forget, if you enjoy these podcasts, and we hope you do, subscribe to them on iTunes.